Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. In this session, we will be talking about Abraham and Sarah. And as you follow along, please remember that Abraham was initially Abram and Sarah was initially, initially Sarai. You may hear us interchange the names, but we're talking about the same couple. Now, throughout their lives, we're going to see how the Lord leads this family through the husband, how a wife fulfills her role as a, as a submissive helper, and most importantly, we will see the faithfulness of God. When we first meet Abraham and Sarah, they're dwelling in the land of Haran, which is modern-day Iraq, and they're living surrounded by their friends and family in a well-established community. As chapter 12 opens, God is speaking to Abraham, and he says there in chapter 12, verse 1, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." In these verses, we see that God has given Abraham a command and also several promises. Abraham is commanded, get out of your country and leave your extended family. Abraham's also commanded to go to the land that I will show you or that God will show him. He doesn't tell him where to go. He says, go. And then he says, I will show you along the way. But God also makes several promises. God said, I want to make you a great nation. I will bless you. Your name will be great. You shall be a blessing. I will protect you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And there in verse 4, so Abram, or Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now it's really, really easy to read that Abraham was given direction by the Lord. And he simply obeyed. He went. He did what the Lord called him to do. And Sarah, she went with them. But do you understand, have you considered the real life implications of this? God is giving Abraham direction but Abraham must be willing to follow and obey, even though his wife may not understand and agree with his decision. In this situation, his desire to please God must override his desire to maintain the happy wife, happy life syndrome. Let me say that again. Abraham's desire to please the Lord must and should override his desire to sit back and maintain the happy wife happy life mentality. I wonder, after God speaks to him, after God reveals, it's time to go, Abram, pack up your stuff, get your wife, all of your belongings, it's time to move. Where are we going, God? I'm not going to tell you yet. You take the first step. I wonder how he broke the news to his wife. I wonder how he said, Sarah, I've got some things I want to tell you. We're moving. We're leaving our friends. We're leaving our family. And that's it. We're going somewhere. Well, where are we going, Abraham? Well, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, God's going to show us along the way. What are you talking about? I wonder how he broke this news to his wife. And I wonder what she thought. Yes, ladies, I wonder what she thought. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how many of us would be willing to leave our families, the comfort of a prosperous community, to step out in faith, to go to a place that you don't know, where you don't know anybody, 
to follow your husband in faith. Mm. Would you be supportive of such a harebrained idea? Um, you know, I know it would be easier for Sarah if God had let her in on all these promised land plans. Uh, and I can relate to her. When God called our family to Cumberland, he did not speak to me about it. Uh, and I struggled with that. I did. I struggled with that. I mean, if we're going to move away from our family, from our church community, our place of financial provision and security, to go to a land where we know nobody, certainly God is going to confirm that in my heart and in my mind. And I refused for a time to acknowledge and support Rob's calling to quit his job as a police officer, where he was doing well and he was advancing very nicely, to become a pastor. And I did not want to move. Um, I wanted to stay right where we were. Rob already mentioned that I'm not really the moving type. I wanted to stay right in the little community where I was raised, right next to my mom and dad, and um, that's always had it, how it had been in my family. My whole family was always right there together. So the idea of moving um, was not really, uh, the only place I wanted to move was from that community that he took us to um, an hour away. I wanted to move back to where I started. <laughs> I mean, when he was going to take me even further away. Um, anyway, so I, you know, this wasn't my idea. It was completely different from what I had envisioned my life to be. When I thought of what it would be like to be married and what my family life would look like, it looked nothing like this. I had no idea that this is where God was going to take us. You know, but I was very wrong in making the assumption uh, that, that um, I had an idea of how I thought God should be doing things, and I was wrong about that. But luckily, in God's grace, uh, he opened my eyes to these errors. He told me, your role as a wife is not to determine my will for your family, but to follow your husband and support him. He, remind, he didn't just remind me, because I don't think I ever really realized it before. He showed me for the first time ever how crucial my support of my husband was. He told me that he couldn't do it without my support. Um, and I realized I was standing in the way of what God wanted to do. Uh, it was only after I gave up control and learned what it meant to submit that Rob was able to clearly hear from the Lord. I got out of the way. He wasn't hearing my voice in his ear anymore. He was able to uh, truly discern God's voice. Uh, and he was able to make a very hard choice, extremely difficult choice, to again leave the security of what we knew to step out in faith and follow the Lord. And I am so glad that he did that, that he stepped out in faith and um, that we fulfilled what God wanted us to do. And Sarah too, she also was a woman who had learned the value of submission. And so the family sets off towards this land of promise. Well, they take the step of faith. The wife comes alongside. They arrive in the land of Canaan. And you know what happened? Things got kind of tough in the land of Canaan. Look at the beginning of verse 10. There was, now there was a famine in the land. This means there was no food in the land. This was, there was nothing for them to eat. They were going hungry. They're, they're, all the, 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 the people they had with them and all their livestock, they were going hungry. What kind of promised land is this? I was expecting more from God. God, where have you led us? You see, this isn't what they expected. This isn't what they planned. When you take that step of faith and that walk of obedience, there's always some expectation that everything's going to go smooth. 
And you should just be blessed because you're doing what God wants you to do. There's like he owes you something because you took this huge step of faith. We, we think that way. And I'm sure Abraham and Sarah felt the exact same way. That's your part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, so in times like that, when t- things do get tough, that's an opportunity a lot of times as wives where we start to say, you know, this really, maybe this wasn't really a good idea, or, you know, I told you we shouldn't have done this. Uh, even again, in our nonverbal communication, we can start to undermine um, the authority of, of our husbands in this way. We as wives need to know also that just because things get tough, it doesn't mean that you're, you're not following the Lord, or it doesn't mean that God can't even work through maybe what is not necessarily uh, the best decision. Um, it's in these times that our uh, willingness to be supportive is really tested. But this is when our husbands need our support more than ever in those tough times. And we need to hear that God called us here. Mm-hmm. God showed you. God told you. God led you. We need to hear that confirmation. And as a result of the famine, Abraham abandons the land that God had called him to. And you know what he does? He heads down to Egypt looking for food. Look there in verse 10. As I continue, now there's a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please, please, honey, say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Now, I need to point something out to you. I want you to notice the scripture doesn't say Abraham sought the Lord on this. It doesn't say Abraham followed the Lord. It doesn't say the Lord told Abraham to go down to Egypt. Based on the totality of the scriptures, it appears he was hungry, so he figured, I've got to go there to get food, and he just makes the decision to go down and get food. Now, how many guys think Abraham's plan as they're coming into Egypt is a good idea? All right, honey, I know you're really attractive. And by the way, she was about 65 years old or so at this point, okay? And she was really attractive enough so that that he was absolutely right in what he was supposing. And before you're too hard on Abraham, it was a legitimate fear of his. Because it really could have happened the way he thought it would happen in that day. It wasn't uncommon for Pharaoh to, to see a woman and want her and have, his, have her, if she was married, to have her husband killed so that he could have her. But Abraham here, his failure was not his concern for food or his safety. That was good. He was supposed to be looking out for his family for those things. But his reliance on his own solution and ability rather than looking to the Lord. You see, he had a legitimate need. And what he did was he goes, how can I solve this problem? And he never went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You've called me to this land of Canaan. There's a famine here. He never goes to the Lord on that. We never see that taking place in Scripture. When the current circumstances in your life seem to make the Lord's promises impossible, we must not disregard the truths of God's word for our own solutions. 
Let me say it again. When the current circumstances in your life seem to make the Lord's promises impossible, in other words, what the Lord has told you, it's impossible for it to happen. Like there's no way my marriage is going to get any better. There's no way that God can do in my marriage what he's done in their marriage. There's no way it can be, because I can't see how it could happen, we must, we must not disregard the truths of God's word for our own solutions. We keep trusting the Lord. Now, when we first started talking about Abraham and Sarah, and I said that Sarah followed Abraham, were any of you ladies thinking, yeah, well, if my husband were like Abraham and he heard from the Lord, man, I would have no problem following him. Well, now I think your tune may be changing a little bit. You can see that it wasn't always easy for Sarah either. <laughs> uh, she didn't always have it easy going uh, with her husband. He wasn't always hearing from the Lord and necessarily doing the, the most godly things. Um, so let's see. But we are going to see that Sarah continues to choose to obey her husband, even though Abraham was not in God's will and had taken matters into his own hand. Now, before uh, Josh and Joy, Josh, or excuse me, Joy spoke about um, Ananias and Sapphira. In that circumstance, it seems as though uh, when uh, Ananias led his family into danger, that Sapphira uh, was in cahoots with that, and they agreed together that this would be a good idea. Um, and, and Joy brought out the, the, the point that there are times if we see our husbands uh, heading on a crash course for unrighteousness and, and ungodliness and going away from the Lord, that there is a way that we can come alongside and hopefully uh, give him a different perspective or help him to see uh, how he's getting off course. And of course, that is in an attitude of respect and honor, and as she said, after much prayer. We should never just sit by and be complicit to um, habitually sinful things. We are able to take a stand for the Lord. Um, you know, but in this case, it's obvious that Sarah did not uh, uh, go ahead and um, act in that way either. Uh, and in this case, as she obeyed the Lord, we're going to see something very different happen here. We're going to see that God is going to protect Sarah and he's also going to bless the family as a result of her obedience. Now you must be thinking, this is absolutely crazy that you know, she is going to just follow her husband down to Egypt and let, you know, let herself be taken into Pharaoh's house. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is that um, we're probably not gonna be facing as extreme circumstances as this. Uh, though you never know what life may bring, but um, there certainly are going to be times in all of our lives where we do question, as wives, we do question uh, the choices that our husband might be making. Uh, but I'm just going to make it real simple for you ladies. Uh, you know, your job is not to criticize your husband. Your role is not to second guess or undermine his decision. You're not to manipulate and try to control the circumstances. You are called by God to pray for your husband and the decisions that he's making. You certainly can respectfully offer advice when asked. That's the key. I know my husband says, I love your perspective and your advice, and when I want it, I will ask for it. Men typically don't want our unsolicited advice. That's when it feels disrespectful. That's when it feels like a jab or a criticism. That's when it may tear down. 
But in a relationship where respect is um, a part of that relationship, when a man asks, when Rob asks for my advice, I know, I mean, he's told me this, that it's something that he values um, and that I can give him a different perspective. Um, you know, ultimately, our responsibility before the Lord is a willingness to follow and support our husband. And again, there's a great blessing there. Remember, as I said from the first session, God has not required you to bear the burden, and it is a burden. It is a burden to make these decisions on your husband. It's a big deal before the Lord, and we don't have to bear that burden as women. That is a blessing in our own lives, that we don't have to um, bear that burden, but many women do. Many women are unwilling to trust their husbands, and they bear the undue consequences of stress and uh, pressure in their own life as they try to navigate life outside of God's plan when they take the control from their husband. And, you know, uh, it, 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 it's kind of a curse where the blessing is relinquishing it to your husband. I'm telling you that as much, it may, as much as it may go against your nature to relinquish this control to your husband's, Remember, God means it to be a blessing. You are in his will when you trust him in this area. And I want to encourage you, all of you ladies, as Joy has done also, ultimately your trust and your hope needs to be in the Lord. Just one follow-up. Uh, she had mentioned that I, I have said in the past, if I want your advice, I'll ask for it. it it's, I always want it. It's just when do I want it? It's, it's, I'm not saying, I, it's never I don't want to hear what you have to say. It's a lot of times I process things in my head and I want to get to a certain point and then I want to hear what she has to say. Mm. So it's not, a, it's not, I don't want to hear what you have to say. It's just, I've got to get it, through, get it in my head the way it needs to be and then you can kind of come forward and then I want to hear and see if it matches or then, then I can kind of take it and do whatever the Lord leads me to do with it. Now, I like this story because I like the fact that Abraham made this mistake mm -hmm. because I've made many mistakes. You know, you get to hear stories about us stepping out and going to Cumberland and, and, and I, we were sharing stories with Josh and Joy last night and we shared for a while about all the, the amazing things the Lord's done in our church. And I got to the very end, I said, hey, but you haven't heard any of the bad stories. You haven't heard any of the, the bad days or the hard days or the failures or where I made the wrong decision or, or you, you, all you've heard is the, you know, 10 years of these are the great stories. And I like the fact that the Bible is very honest and we see that, you know, Abraham says, well, will you tell him you're my sister? Which it wasn't a lie, by the way. She was his half sister. And that's for another message. Let's see how things work out for him. Look at there at verse 14. So it was when Abraham came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house and he treated Abram, Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Abraham is being blessed because of his wife's beauty and obedience. All of this livestock is considered wealth. I personally think he made the wrong decision. He should have trusted God. He shouldn't have been in, in Egypt in the first place, but now he's down there. He's not trusting God. He says, do it this way. And yet God is still blessing them with wealth, with livestock, with all this stuff. She's being blessed, but they're being blessed. But I want you to see the Lord is working. The Lord is doing, he, the Lord is working in their life to get them back on path. 
back to where he's called them to. He's working, and Sarah, during this, she made the decision to go along with it. Notice she's going to be protected through it. And although women would look at that, I can't believe you would do such a thing, yet she says, I'll do it. And the Lord says, I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bless your family because of your decision. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched a man in in counseling and marriage make a boneheaded decision that I want to look and go, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I would never say that to anybody, but I want to sometimes. And and all of a sudden, the wife comes alongside and goes, yep, that's what we're going to do. And I've watched it unfold, and I've watched it be an amazing blessing. And it should have failed miserably. But God says, I really believe God says, because she is going to honor him, I'm going to bless what's going on, even though there's no logical sense for it. God's faithful. When you follow his word, he's faithful. Look at verse uh, 17. As God protects them, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram, Abraham and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have, I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore here is your wife, take her, and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. A wife's willingness to submit to her husband places her and the whole family in a position to be blessed by the Lord, even if the husband isn't making a godly decision. Understand that's the principle that's playing out here. After leaving Egypt and returning to Canaan, time passes and doubt begins to creep in. You, know, you can understand what that's like. So they leave Egypt. They leave with all the wealth. They left with more wealth than they came in there with. God protected Sarah, protected the relationship. They end up back in Canaan, which is where they're supposed to be in the first place. But time is passing by. Oh, we don't like to wait, do we? God said, yeah, but you're going to have to wait a while. No, but I want it now. Time's passing by. And you know what happens when time passes by? Doubt begins to creep in. Did God really say, are you sure you did the right thing? Are you sure? How long do we have to wait? Many times when we step out in faith, God's plan takes a while to unfold. It doesn't unfold in your time. We get bits and pieces, but undoubtedly we begin to wonder, did I really hear from the Lord? It's not happening the way I thought it would. And that seems to be where Abraham and Sarah find themselves. Let's watch as God confirms their promise because God is always faithful. After Abram left Egypt, he went back to the place where he had built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. This is important. Then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, very wealthy. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Please don't pass this principle up. Guys, let's face it. We will not always make the right decision in leading our families. We will make mistakes. We will make the wrong choices. We will forget what God said. We'll go off on our own. It will happen, guaranteed. Please remember that what, we, what do we do in that circumstance? How long do we continue in that direction? It's gonna have a big effect. What we need to do is repent and recommit. Repent, turn away from the wrong direction, turn back to the right direction, go back to where he last met with the Lord, recommit and got built right back to the altar, says, God, here I am. 
Now, we're not told what he said, but I have no doubt it went something like, Lord, forgive me. I left, I left Canaan without your permission. I went down into Egypt and I lied. And I, I feel there's a, there's a time of worship there. Yet you still honored your promise. You brought us out. You protected us. And you've blessed us more than with what we had when we came in. So guys, it's not that we're always going to make the right decision. You will make the wrong one. It might be this afternoon. It's what do you do when you make the wrong one? Will you go back? Will you repent and recommit and get back on track? Or will you stay derailed? And how long will you stay derailed? After Abraham does this, the Lord appears to him. So he comes back to the Lord, he repents and recommits, and then the Lord appears to him to reconfirm his promise. Chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. In other words, Abraham, you're back. I'm glad you're back. Look around. All of this is yours. All of it. I'm giving it to you and your, your, your descendants. Now, the Lord's blessing Abraham with livestock. He's giving him land. He's giving him servants, gold and silver. The problem is he doesn't have any children. He doesn't have any descendants. There, are, there is nobody to, to, to pass anything on to. He doesn't have any children of his own. And I'm sure as time continued to tick by, Abraham began to wonder, just how am I going to have these descendants? You know, I've got this promise from God. I left my family. I went to the land. Yeah, I made a mistake, but now I'm back. And I got this promise again. He reminded me, but time's still passing by and I don't have any children. Remember, he was 75 years old when he left Haran. Time's passing. And I'm sure Sarah's 10 years younger, but her biological clock is ticking. Way past. It stopped by now almost. The alarms are sounding. God is faithful and once again appears to Abraham. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid. Do you know why the Bible tells people not to be afraid? Because they're afraid. Because they're afraid. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I'm your shield. Your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. He's talking about a servant. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one, in other words, this servant shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought Abram outside and he said, look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Look up, Abraham, look at the stars. That's how many kids you're gonna have and grandkids and great grandkids. That's, that's what it's going to look like. And Abraham's saying, Lord, my, my, it, it's getting impossible. Sarah's getting older, I'm getting older. It's just not, it, it's not going to happen. And God says, come on outside, Abraham. Now look up at the starry sky. No light pollution, no light pollution. Can you imagine what it would look like in the desert? 
And all of a sudden, it's just stars everywhere. He goes, that's what your descendants are going to look like. And verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord. In other words, he believed God. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this could possibly happen. And it says he accounted to him for righteousness. Once again, Abraham's aging body and physical circumstances seem to make the promises of God impossible. It's impossible. He can't fix my marriage. You can't do that. There's no way it could happen. Looking to his own understanding, Abraham says, let's just make Eleazar. Eleazar, the servant, he's, 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 that's the way it would work. Your, your best servant born in your house, he would be the one that would get your, your, your inheritance if there was no biological children to leave it to. Let's just make him the son of promise. Let's just let him do it. But God, so lovingly, so faithfully reminds Abraham and he renews his promise. No, Abraham, it's not Eleazar. There's gonna be one from your own body. And I know many people, including myself, who have stepped out in faith The Lord has given clear direction, but based on what they can see, what they look around, what they can see around them, based on the resources and ability they have available to them, the promise of God seems impossible. Mm -hmm. See, that's what Abraham, that's what he was doing. I can't have kids, I'm getting too old. There's no way, my wife can't have kids, she's getting too old. And at that point, and whether you're taking a step of faith, whether it's Abraham coming to that point, whether it's a point in your marriage where you're so, so, so desperate, God can't fix this, there's nothing that can happen. There's only three options. Option number one, you can quit. You can disregard God's promises and quit and say, I tried that, it doesn't work. I would never suggest that. Option number two, and the best option is to continue to wait on the Lord. Rely on the promise. God said it will happen, and I believe it's going to happen. Option number three, which is so often chosen, you can try to make it happen in your own strength. I can do this. God got me this far, but I can take it to the next step. Abraham and Sarah tried to make God's promise happen on their own. Look at chapter 16, and I know we're going fast, but you're going to see it all tie together. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah... Abram's wife had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant. Egyptian, came from Egypt. Should have never been there. But he went down there. Now there's an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Guys, I'm pretty sure this is not going to turn out real well. (laughs) This is not a good idea. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. And Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, 85 years now. So he went into Hagar. She conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress became despised. In her eyes. Yep, I knew that wouldn't work out as planned. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong, as Charlie would always say? What could go wrong in a situation like that? All right, men, little test. What do you do when your wife comes to you with a plan like this? Now, hopefully, it doesn't look just like this. But what do you do when she comes to you with a plan that you know you're not supposed to do? That you know the Lord has already spoken. You know that he's faithful, but here she comes. If we say no, oh, mama's not happy. Mama wants kids. 
This is the way she thinks she wants them. We get in trouble for not taking her advice or ideas. But if we say yes, then we'll be trying to make God's plans unfold in our own ability. We'll be trying to make it happen. What do you do when your wife comes to you with a plan or an idea that you know goes against God's plan and God's word? Oh, it's so simple. Don't complicate it. You wash her in the word of God. You remind her of God's faithfulness. You remind her of what God said. And you remind her that her, his promise is going to be trusted. And you admit, I have no idea how he's going to accomplish this. I realize, Sarah, that you are too old to have kids and I'm too old to father kids. I have no idea. But all I know is my God, my God, who can do more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. He told me that my kids, my family is going to be like the stars of heaven. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but we're not taking matters into our own hands. We're not, it's not happening. We're not doing it that way. Whatever you do, and listen carefully, if you're taking a note, jot it down. Do not heed the voice of your wife above the voice of the Lord. Do not listen to what your wife says above what the Lord says. Don't make that mistake. Don't make the mistake. In time, Hagar gave birth to her son, which produced great conflict in their home. Thirteen years after Ishmael was born, Abraham is now 99 years old. Ishmael's 13, Sarah is 89. With the physical ability to bear a child probably completely gone at this point, Abram thought Ishmael was the son of promise. Because once again, he could not imagine fathering a child at that age. But in his faithfulness, because God is faithful, God appears to Abraham and says, no. Ishmael is not the son of promise. This time, next year, Sarah will bear a son. Finally, God's promise has a time frame. That's what we really want, isn't it? Lord, you said, now will you just tell me when? That's, really, that's what we really want. God, you promised, can you just let me, one more step, when? He doesn't always do that. Sometimes you've got to wait. In this case, they left when they were 75. They've been waiting now 25 years, 24 years. Next, he's gonna, she's going to bear a son. 25 years later, we don't like waiting 25 days. We want Amazon Prime so we can get it tomorrow. <laughs> Man, if we could shorten childbirth, we'd do that too, wouldn't we, ladies? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Gestation also. Right, Meg? Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Oh, God is faithfulness. God is faithful. He appears to Abram. He says, no, Ishmael's not the son. This time next year, Sarah will bear a son. And now this time frame comes into place. God's promise coupled with their faith is what produced the son of promise. Mm -hmm. You see, they had to keep believing. Mm -hmm. And it's okay that they got sidetracked mm -hmm. because God remains faithful. And that's important for us as men because we're going to make mistakes in leading our family. We're going to get sidetracked. We're going to go to Egypt and we're going to follow the thing the wife said that we shouldn't have, but God remains faithful. Our faith needs to be on him. Our reliance is on him. God's promise coupled with their faith produced the son of promise. Look at chapter 21. Verse 1, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, God is faithful, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Mm -hmm. Underline those if they're in your Bible, write them, remember them, because he will do the same for you. He's just as faithful to you as he was to Abraham and Sarah. Mm -hmm. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age and at the set time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him who Sarah bore to him, 
Isaac. Isaac. They finally got their son. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah, 90 years old. They finally got their son. They finally got it between the two of them. Isaac went on to have a son named Jacob. Jacob went on to father 12 sons who represented the 12 tribes of Israel. All of Israel as you know it today fall under the promise of Abraham. All of it. Everybody that tells you they're Jewish, their father goes back to Abraham. Now there was a whole other nation that was fathered as well under Ishmael. But all of the promise of God, it still exists today. It's Israel. It's still, it's still, it's still there. The nation Israel began as a promise to one man. One man, although there were many successes and also many failures, God remained faithful. It was his faithfulness. I want, to list, I want you to listen to how the author of Hebrews, and you can, it's debated who it was. Personally, I think it was the Apostle Paul. But I want you to listen to what he has to write about Abraham and Sarah. Because we can look at their life and go, man, you blew it there. You, why'd, you want, why'd you give him your, her maidservant? That was just dumb. We can see all that, but listen, listen, when it's all said and done, listen to what's said about him. This is Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. She believed God. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. We just covered their life at like 30,000 feet. But what we see is there were successes and there were failures. And God did what God said he would do. If he did it in their life, when he lays the framework and the foundation for marriage, why should we not hold him to doing what he said he would do there? When we teach these frameworks, this foundation of love and respect and submission and leadership, and we say this is the biblical foundation, this is that there are certain results that we can expect. And he's faithful to provide the results. Your marriage, if you submit to his way of doing it, will get better. It will become a more peaceful home. It will become a more prosperous home. It will become a home that he can now use to serve him. It'll become a, a, a more loving home. It'll, change, it'll begin to change completely. And you'll make mistakes along the way. You will. I promise you will. Men and women, you'll both make mistakes. You will. It'll absolutely happen. But yet if your faith remains in God, he says, I will be faithful. I will do what I've said that I will do. And I will take a couple. They will become one. And I will use them to serve me for the purpose that I created them. You see, I believe completely that each couple in this room, God has a purpose for your life. He wants you to serve him in some way. He wants you to, he's got something he wants you to do. He didn't just create you so that you could be together and die. He created you to be prosperous and to serve him. And in order to do that, we have to come under the roles that he designed for us. And when we're willing to make those, take those, learn them, and then begin to live them, we'll begin to see wonderful results. I can tell you in my own life, I've done it both ways. 
I've lived with an ungodly marriage and I've been for the last several many years trying to live as a godly marriage and I would never go back to the other way. The sooner, now here's the thing. Here's, what, here's what's cool about marriage. We can teach them to you. We can show them to you. We can lay them out in scriptures, but you gotta live them. I can't live them for you. I can't. I can, I can tell you the principles. I can tell you husbands lead, women submit, husbands love, women respect, but when you go home this afternoon, that's on you. That's on you. And don't expect to be perfect. I promise you won't be. But you have to say there has to be this overwhelming desire. I want to please the Lord. As I please him, as I become the husband he's called me to be, as Rebecca becomes the wife that she's called her to be, then we become growing closer together. Because then that union becomes closer and tighter and we become more useful in his hands. Isn't that cool how that works? So it's not our, your, your marriage, the future of your marriage is not based on your on what you do, it's based on God's faithfulness. What you do is you just walk in what he's called you to walk in. You take the principles you've learned today and you go home and apply them a little bit here and a little bit there. And you watch as he changes and watch as he grows. Watch as you grow closer together. Go home, I encourage you to talk about it today. Go spend some time with the Lord. We're gonna wrap up this conference with a song. And come on up, Aaron and, and Charlotte. We're gonna wrap up this conference with a song. And as we do this, here's what I know. I know that the enemy wants to come in and take away all that the Lord has poured into your hearts and your lives this afternoon and this morning. And I know that even here, there's many marriages that are perhaps strong, but there's other marriages that go, you know what? I got a long way to go. I got a really long way to go. So here's what I want to do. During this last song, Rebecca and I are going to be up here. Josh and Joy will be up here. I want to open up a time for prayer. If as a husband and a wife, you need prayer for your marriage, just come on up. We'd love to pray with you. We're not going to counsel you. We're just going to pray with you. We're just going to pray with, with you and just ask the Lord to bless you and to show you and to lead you and to guide you. No, you're, we're not going to ask your name or we're not going to go into any big details, details. Just tell us what you need prayer for. We'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. Gary and Carolyn will come up as well uh, to help out if we need some more people. But I want to encourage you, please, if you need prayer, now is the time. We want to pray for you. We want to bless you. We want to be able to just minister to you in that way. And it'll be my prayer that the Lord would take these truths that we've learned. And they would be hidden in your heart and you would begin to learn them. Father, we just come before you. Lord, we've covered a lot of ground today. A lot of scripture. I'm sure there's been a lot of conviction and also a lot of encouragement. But Lord, this is the point where we open our heart to you. For truth, that's what matters. What do you say, Lord? Would you search our hearts? And would you have your way in our hearts? Lord, if there's an area that needs change in our life, would you minister to us and tell us what it is? So often we want to change symptoms and there's something deeper that needs to be dealt with. Lord, you know us better than any, anybody. So may you just minister to us now. And for those that need prayer, Lord, may they not be afraid of what someone might think. May they come forward so that we can pour into their life. And Lord, just, we want to worship you with this last song. In Jesus' name, amen.